0: Thanks everyone for joining us today. I'm Robin Lyons, IT Audit Professional Practices Principal at Isaka, and joining us today is Cindy Baxter, who is the director of What's the Risk LLC. Thank you for joining us today, Cindy. How have you been?
1: Good, and it's a pleasure to be here again, Robin. It's great to see you.
0: Yep. Great to see you as well. I know we had a great chat the last time we were together, so looking forward to another great conversation today. Everyone, we're here to discuss Cindy's latest Isaka Journal article which is audit and practice auditing culture. Um, so there's absolutely a lot to talk about in this area. So, so let's go ahead and get started. Um, so Cindy, uh, to help us frame the discussion, can you talk a little bit about, and give our, our audience a working definition of culture?
1: Yeah, I think the best way to describe culture because it has so many um, so many applications in everyday life is it's a set of norms and um, in practices that a group will follow. But beyond just norms and practices, it's an identity. It's something that the group does activities that they perform that give a sense of belonging, a sense of meaning and a sense of ownership. That's really what creates a cultural environment that brings people together.
0: Okay, fantastic. Cindy, I personally am aware of an article that Forbes released in 2021, and they were talking about culture. And to sort of get a sense of culture, um, there was an interview or uh, a request for feedback from members of the Young Entrepreneur Council. And in talking about culture, that group of people, and again, it's just a a very small subset, so eight uh, young entrepreneurs. And when they were asked to talk about culture, they talked about things like being listened to, um, that leadership Mm -hmm. listens to people that everyone um, is included. They talked about rewards, and they also talked about fun in the in the work environment. So if we look at, at that as how some people define culture, and sometimes organizations and executives in particular uh, look at culture from a different perspective. They look at it from, I guess, a subset of ethics in culture. And I think that's driven sometimes by compliance efforts where mm-hmm. um, there has to be some sort of ethics in place that helps an, an organization be compliant. So looking at those two very different perspectives on culture, how do you think that auditors can, uh, how do they actually look at culture, knowing that employees and executives have very different perspectives of what culture is?
1: Yeah, Robin, that's a really great question. And it's it's a really good dialogue for you and me to have, because when I think of culture, um, in the, the definition that I just provided, it means so much to different people. How people identify um, is very personal. And and I think the interesting thing about this, I mean, let's face it, you and I are talking technology and here we are and the conversation is culture. And, and there might be people in our audience that are sitting there saying, what does this have to do with IT? I mean, really? And the way I look at it, And I'm interested to hear uh, how you feel. But the way I look at it is the results of my audit or my risk assessment really depend on the culture of the organization or the group that I'm auditing. If I don't understand where they're coming from, then I'm not going to be successful in getting my recommendations considered. So suddenly, technology needs to consider culture. Now, to your point, when you start to think about employees and you start to think about leadership, everybody's looking for something different and we all have different needs. And and again, revolving around culture is really important because as I mentioned in the definition, there's that need for a sense of belonging. And let's talk a little bit about, you know, the Forbes article, you know, the ping pong table, the free coffee, the, I wanna wear what I wanna wear. I don't need to sit in an office with four walls. I should be able to do this and that. I should have freedom. There's so many things that all of us want to do. But I think what all of us want to do at the employee level is make sure we have that sense of belonging and, critically, a sense of ownership. That's where I think there might be a tie-in with leadership. Because, of course, what leadership is looking for is responsibility, accountability, Results and all of those things, especially if we're talking systems or applications revolve around productivity that people either decide they're going to do. They're just going to decide in teamwork or not. And the success, um, that leadership views from a cultural perspective is very much tied to that sense of belonging. So I don't know what you think about the concept of tone at the top. Um, You know, maybe we can bat that one around a little bit. Uh, What do you think about that in relationship to perhaps what the Forbes article says?
0: I really do think that it's looking at what the organization does, what behavior is from ethics. I think it's there's an expectation with Tom of the top that that executives are actually walking the talk of what they said to the organization that, that that's important to them and what's important to the organization. I kind of think that's what tone at the top, that's that's what it says to me. And I think that there's a, a potential disconnect that can be created if employees believe that that tone at the top is different than what they see in the organization. Again, just, you know, not walking the talk. Yeah. And when we talked a little bit about, and I, I, I'm happy that you brought this up about results. I think that results can be the actual connection or the bridge between what organizations think um, culture is and what employees think culture is and like you said very well Sydney you know a culture employees may talk about you know the foosball table the ping pong table you know can I bring my dog to work those sorts of things yeah. and then exactly're <laughs> looking at what's the behavior ethically of the organization I think the bridge that can possibly link those two very different perspectives is what you mentioned results yeah I think that's why employees are, are maybe sort of keying in on what they think is important what's going to make my work life happier, What's going to create, you know, balance in my work life? And so these things that they've mentioned, like fun and rewards and and being listened to, those sorts of things, I believe that those are the things that make people feel valued in the workplace. They make them feel appreciated in the workplace. And, you know, people have been saying this for decades, you know, happy employees are productive employees, right? So I think that perspective can get the organization to the results that they hope to achieve. And I, I think executives, you know, maybe having honed in, a little bit closer to day-to-day functions on the behaviors that drive culture, I think that that's exactly how results will be the meeting place of those two very different perspectives.
1: Yeah, I think that's, you know, you've said a couple of really interesting things. I actually like what you, you know, I actually like that concept of of balance that you were just talking about because, you know, I wouldn't mind bringing my dog to work. It wouldn't be you know, so bad to, I certainly don't want to have to be tied to a desk. I never felt that that was a very productive thing to do. But when I feel that word balance, as you were just saying, it's, it's something that I also associate with what I'm accomplishing, which ties to what you just were mentioning about results. Because I think, again, as you're saying, that notion of being part of the team, which is a very large part of being a successful culture and a productive one, does have that tone of ethics. It does have that tone of we're all in this together. And accomplishments are felt when everybody pulls together. I know that in in my career, the times that have caused the most angst, and I'm not Talking about just for me, but about coworkers, employees. There's more rumbling and rumors when there are folks that don't pull their weight, and that again gets back to that tone at the top we were talking about, and and I think that's where the bridge and the value as well for culture audits exist is recognizing, like you say, it's maybe it's not the foosball table, but maybe that has to be a component. It could be making sure that everybody's playing, that everybody's contributing, that everybody, as they look at the tone of the talk and they understand that it's not just a bunch of regulations that they may fall under or a set of rules that's required, but it's actually some good objectives in order to meet that end goal so that the team feels that accomplishment or that win, that's where I think culture can get as successful. And I think it's also that bridge between employees and leadership, knowing that there's a government, hate to use the word, but let's face it, a governance model. Everybody clearly understands what am I doing? How am I contributing? Am I contributing with somebody else? Do I get to work with them so we're not overlapping? All those things bring a sense of pride, but not managed properly without the norms, without some of the stuff that leadership thinks they'll get from the get-go can cause a lot of consternation and a lot of non-productive behavior, even in the worst case, as we unfortunately know, you know, attrition of very valuable employees or leadership members that just give up. And you certainly don't want that. Right,
0: right.
1: Yeah. No, but I think, you know, as you talk about tone at the top and, and and the balance, I think this is a really good point for auditors to keep in mind. And I think I might have just mentioned it a little while ago. I've always worried when I walk into a room of people that are the subject of my audit. And and I I I know you've had some situations that are the same where you sit there and you say, Okay, when you're a risk manager you're an auditor, especially an auditor, you're always going to be an outsider. But you can't really be a a successful evaluator of culture, a, a successful inspector to figure out, okay, is that ping pong table really important or is it the flex hours? Is the productivity linked to a systems issue or an awareness and education issue because people don't know their roles and they're duplicating work. You know, how is that interplay going on? And in order to get some of those details from your audience, there has to be a certain level of trust. There can't be that, that feeling of, uh-oh, here comes the auditor. Hurry, put all this stuff in your desk, take that stuff off the wall, erase the board. We don't know what they're going to do next that's really important for people to consider. And when you walk into a regular old IT audit, again, anxious to hear your view. It's just not IT. It's IT with a foundation of culture in terms of how it's going to be heard and acted upon.
0: Yeah, that that's a great point, Cindy. And, and I think uh, when you mentioned working with the groups that we're auditing, that's really, really important with culture. I think that with our background all of us have been involved in interviewing we've all you know developed some some level of interview skills and i think we have a sense of when we're not getting all the information or maybe people are reluctant to share information with us like you mentioned people erasing boards and taking down sticky notes because they don't want auditors to see information yes i think it's important for us to to connect that dot and say when people are doing that that's a culture I mean, that's, that's something that we need to address and something that we need to acknowledge. And so I think that we need to be aware of culture as we just go about our day-to-day audit responsibilities, whether it's a full audit or whether it's yes. just a, talking to someone to understand a process or a new procedure or some sort of change that's coming along through the organization. It's important to acknowledge that cultural element. And I'll give an example. I read a while ago a book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. And in the book, Gladwell gives an example of, it's it's an airline. So uh, the plane is in flight and the co-pilot realizes that there's some issue that he needs to bring to the attention of the pilot. And so he does so on a number of occasions, but each time the pilot says, no, we're not gonna do this, we're gonna proceed on course. And long story short, unfortunately, there was a crash and lives were lost. And so the culture that was at play here was that the co-pilot was to defer to the pilot, period regardless. And when the co-pilot was raising these concerns, he was actually stepping outside of bounds doing that because he knew they were in a serious uh, situation. But that culture that was so deeply embedded that uh, you're second to the pilot, the pilot calls the shots. And unfortunately, the decision that the pilot made uh, not to listen to the co-pilot resulted in in lost lives. I know some of us may be in industries like that. Most of us probably are not. But um, I do think that being aware of culture and the potential outcomes that that culture can result in in organizations, I think that's really important. So when we're working in, in our IT audits, absolutely, like you said, Cindy, we should not overlook the culture that's at play um, when we're performing our audits.
1: You raised a really good point, Robin, because culture is really hard to audit, but it's also hard to live in. And I I, I know, people are often valued not just for the technical knowledge that they have, but just as importantly for their ability to to make sure things don't get lost in translation. Everybody thinks about language in terms of, do you speak Spanish? Do you speak Chinese? Do you understand coding? Can you? But that's not the only language. And I think sometimes people forget the language of listening, the language of body language, where you can really, as you just were talking, detect that maybe there's something else going on. And none of us, I think, in the audit and risk management community want to go through a scope of work, complete an evaluation, provide that document, and then walk away with a feeling that they're going to toss it out or they're going to override it. You want to make sure that you've had the impact. So how do you get that done? And of course, there's a variety of ways. It may be unusual interviewing techniques based on what the the requirement is. It's interesting that you mentioned the airplane situation. I mean, that's life and death. Other situations are just as grave, either to careers or to people's feelings of belonging, um, and certainly to the company productivity. I know one way that companies often will solve that is to have, you know, a confidential hotline that allows them to report things that are not in line with the tone at the top that don't, again, I hate using the word comply, but they don't follow the norms. You know, if somebody in a banking or investment position, and and keep in mind, bank investors can't be ultra conservatives. You want a personality who's willing to take some risks. That's what you know the markets are all about. You've got to be able to act quickly. You've got to feel extra confident. So you know firms are looking for people who are risk takers, but there's a there's a line. So how do you do that? And and how do you make sure as you're auditing or as you're building recommendations that talk about awareness that that you think about you know recommendations that might include this this hotline or this reporting line whatever you want to call it where people are confident uh that they can be heard and with anonymity and, and get a feeling that the group is getting back to normal because people i think again don't always want to just report something they want the confidence that Yes, it'll be anonymous, but then they also want to see some results, not just results toward the objective, but something that says, yeah, good idea that you reported this. This could have been way worse. It could have been a plane crash. All of those are valuable in terms of keeping culture not only intact, but beneficial for the organization, whether it's a company, whether it's a nonprofit effort, even whether it's a family.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. And, and I think too, when we talked about culture and you talked a bit about developing trust with the groups that we're auditing, Cindy, I think that, you know, that's a culture in and of itself, a culture of trust, building, building a culture of trust. And I think yeah. that, like you said, in some instances, in some organizations, there's that need for anonymity. People don't want to come forward. So they'll use a hotline. They'll use something like that. I know in, in my experience, I've actually worked with people on a number of occasions. So it wasn't even unusual that they would speak to me outside of an entrance meeting, outside of the formal planning process and say, you know what, you really need to look at this. Um, And so you could get information that way. That way it's not tied back to the person, but the organization, if there is a risk or an area that's a concern that should be looked at, the auditors had a chance to look at it. And so I think if if IT auditors can build that sort of relationship and build that sort of trust, um, that culture of trust, I think that that's something that will go a long way in helping us do our jobs better.
1: And and I think, you know, I think trust is really a key. And one of the things about trust is we do speak different languages. So it is, and as I've said, it is hard. I think one of the key things for an auditor, an inspector, any three line of defense. So if you're in the first line of defense, you may feel closer to the business, but that doesn't mean you feel part of the business. You need to not worry about asking questions. I know they always say there are no dumb questions. Okay, there are dumb questions. Sometimes you have to make sure people believe you're gonna understand, right? So so for me, yes, you need some technical background, but there is no way I have ever known everything that I've audited. I can't, I can't possibly. You know, if I'm examining a system, the people who I are, are my audience, Live with it day in and day out. I don't live with it day in and day out. The group that I might be evaluating for access management could be all over the world. I don't know what they're doing on the floor. I don't even necessarily see them as I audit them. I might be looking at records and talking to their managers or only a handful of them. They always know more than I do. But that doesn't mean I can't understand. Asking questions and probing may feel a little embarrassing at first, but it's not. It has to be respectful, even in a virtual environment. You and I are in a virtual environment today. I can still look in your eyes and say, Robin, can you tell me, what was that author again about that plane? Because I never heard of that. I wasn't aware that there wasn't this, I thought there was a dialogue culture between the co-pilot and the pilot. You can ask those questions and once you break the ice even with if you will different cultures right you just got to find that way you look into people's eyes you figure out where the comfort level is and then you explore and ask and then you know you can make sure that you take that knowledge and feed it back in a fashion that shows you understand and and i know you probably feel a certain way about how do you emphasize understanding so somebody doesn't feel like you're just rattling off a bunch of questions because that's not good either if i'm going to be asked a bunch of questions i certainly want to i don't want to keep talking about something and i know i'm looking at somebody who's going has blank eyes and they really don't know what i'm talking about you know so I, you might i I know you have ways that maybe reinforce you know yes i got it i get it and now i'm going to ask my next question
0: yeah yeah I think that's great. I think that's a a great part of what we do as auditors. I think that we have to be informed. And like Cindy said very well, we don't have the level of expertise of the groups that we're auditing because they're there every day and we're not. But I think that we can ask informed questions. Like Cindy said, another thing I think that we can do is to actually rephrase or repeat what we think we know, and then ask that person for confirmation. Is this correct? And then they can they can bring you in where you where you know you may have some information that's not correct and say and then confirm what you do have correct. That's another way to make sure that you have an understanding. I think that understanding though is such an important thing. And I think as yeah. as IT auditors we can't fall into the culture of being afraid of asking questions, or I guess it's it's, it's just as as uh, as potentially risky of pretending to understand things that we don't. Absolutely. And I'll share an example, um, and this is on the financial side, but I think it applies to IT on it as well. Um, years ago, there was um, an instance where a trader with Bearings Bank got himself into some trouble. Uh, like a uh, like uh, Cindy was saying that in certain industries, taking risks is expected; it's rewarded. So he was a trader, and he was considered to be a whiz kid. People thought, "Well, wow, he just really understands our industry. He's doing a great job. He's making a lot of money for us." Long story short. Uh, what they found out is that he actually was not making that money. He had actually created a paper trail that wasn't real and, and the money wasn't real. When the investigation started, the guy's name is Nick Leeson. And there's actually a book about it. And if you have a chance to read it, I encourage it. It's great from a culture perspective. And he said in the book that he knew if he could get the auditors to nod their heads, yes, that they understood. He knew he was he was free. He was uh, He was in great shape because no one was going to question what he was doing. And he said he knew that what he was telling them made no sense. And he said, i am giving them the story that makes no sense. I'm using all sorts of words that don't really relate to each other. But if they nod their heads, he's like, I know they're not going to question me any further. And so I think we really need to be aware, as auditors, that we need to make sure that we understand, really and truly understand, and never give anyone the impression that we understand something that we don't.
1: Yeah. And I think even further getting back to the concept that you were talking about in terms of building trust, what I've certainly found is, you know, as people get to know me because it's like year after year, you're certainly getting to know the people you're auditing unless you're leaving the company every year. Um, So most of us don't do that. Most of us come back to an audit. Most of us are part of a continuous improvement plan. So that builds that level of trust between the audience and us as auditors or inspectors. And you know, you've know, you asked your questions, you know what? You can actually say, hey, could I look at that? Or could I try that? Or do you mind if I see how you do it? And invariably, I have to say even the people who I felt were the least approachable start to warm up to the idea that they're showing you what they do. And people are proud of what they do. That's the positive side of culture no matter what people are doing when you're interviewing them or whether you're looking at what they're doing and they know you get it, they know you don't think you're the expert, they have a good idea that you're not out to get them or cause trouble for them, they start to feel a sense of, hey, this is all about me. This is really great and and it is. So certainly a very positive aspect of continuous auditing and monitoring is something that recognizes the value of each individual as they contribute, or each manager as they pull teams together for a common goal. And again, it emphasizes how technology, which is the underpinning of everything we do nowadays, has to have that aspect of culture included for our results to be successful and for the recommendations that we put forth to take effect.
0: That's a great point. Great point. I know we've covered um, continuous monitoring. Is there anything from an assessing cultural risk and continuous monitoring that you'd like to share or or actually any other point that you'd like to mention uh, uh, because we we um, actually need to wrap up for today. We've considered a lot of great things, I think, from a, an auditing culture perspective, but any sort of last um, words or thoughts that you'd like to share, Cindy?
1: Yeah, definitely, what I'll do, you know, I think there maybe are a few key takeaways that I'll just emphasize and- these are also included in the article I've written. And by the way, the article is kind of a fun thing because it has a couple of fictionalized stories. So I think readers will be able to put themselves in the shoes of of the folks in the article. You know, We've all been there where something's been odd. But when you're doing a cultural audit, I think there are a couple of things to remember. First off is um, you really need to look at the risks and understand what do they do to the organization. Things that are a dramatic risk, whether it's a market risk, whether it's a regulatory risk, need to be taken care of expeditiously. That said, the results of a cultural audit are time consuming and take a long time to be put into effect. So understanding the risks, having all parties understand those risks and the impact is really critical so that people either stick with the audit or decide that they need to look at something else based on what that risk is. Cultural audits are time consuming. The impact of the risk has to be understood and people need to agree on how to deal with it. The next item is you've got to pick the best approach. And this comes up in my article a little bit. So sometimes you want to make sure that you're transparent with everybody. It's something that might be a new opportunity. Maybe it's low risk, but high potential. And you feel really confident about the team, but you're gonna go through a cultural evaluation to try to figure out how do we best take advantage of this. Informing everybody, having them take part in some of the decision-making may be the right way to go. On the other hand, you might look at a situation and say, you know, I've gotta have dramatic change, I'm gonna bring in, or I've got new leadership, leadership has new ideas, you've got a new CIO. That might be something where it's got to be done very quickly and and then communications may not be as complete, but it's really important to figure out what is that approach going to be? Am I going to have minimal communications? Am I going to maximize communications? Who do I include? Who don't I include? Oh, by the way, I always recommend an objective, if possible, outside party depending on how deep and personal the scope of the culture audit is so that it has credibility. The other thing to consider is once you look at your scope, once you've identified your approach and and you're ready to go, it's important to understand and communicate the roles that people have. Certainly during the audit itself, but also for the outcome of the audit. So call it a racy, or you know, it, it, it some kind of a racy that gives you the responsibility, accountability, who's informed, so that people understand how they fit in. So it's getting back to what's the best fit, and culture audits are most successful when people understand what their role is as part of the audit, what they will be doing potentially after the audit, how they might fit in, including if they may not fit in, so that they can participate as much as possible and that the misunderstandings are avoided along the way also as much as possible. I've said communication several times There is no situation, even if you have a culture audit where you have a limited communication vehicle, where there isn't communication, you can't avoid communicating. Making those people who know something's going on aware of what the objective is, is very important to the success of the audit and to the final outcome that you're trying to achieve. Otherwise, you're going to succumb to rumor mills. You may potentially lose employees that you don't want to lose. Everybody has to receive communications. It's just up to those who choose to have the engagement, with the guidance of the auditor, on how it's best to communicate to get to the goal of the audit itself. And then finally, Robin, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Our results. Everybody says that culture is a soft item. It. It is, it, because it's hard to quantify, but it's not unquantifiable. You can look at what you're trying to achieve and identify where you are presently to the best of your knowledge. That means clear scope, clear process flows, who's involved, what the rules are. And then you can have milestones for looking at results. What is this culture audit trying to solve? Low productivity. Updating antiquated technology faster, put those measures into place. Test them out with your audience to make sure that they believe in the metrics, that they think those metrics are actually viable and and include people in creating those metrics. That way, as you go down the path, people will understand where they started, where they're going, and they can feel a sense of accomplishment to get to the next step. So those are some of the takeaways I would consider. There are certainly others, but those are some that are really important in my view.
0: Thank you, Cindy. Those are some very useful and practical takeaways. So thank you for sharing those with us and also for sharing your perspectives on auditing culture today. I think that what we've talked about today was just a very small segment um, of this topic of auditing culture. But my hope is that it generates additional conversations with our viewers so that they can... uh, actually start those conversations and start to consider uh, what needs to be looked at when they're auditing culture. So thank you very much for, for being with us today. Um, For those um, attending the podcast, again, Cindy Baxter's article is in volume five, 2022 of the ISACA journal. It is called auditing culture. So please check that out if you get a chance. So again, thank you, Cindy. And thank you uh, those of us on the podcast for joining today. Uh, See you next time.
1: Thank you, Robin. It's been a pleasure.